0: And though you came in with some outlines, I seem to have um, omitted the punchline um, of the passage. Um, so um, the uh, reading on the sheet is actually incomplete. So I'll read it uh, straight from the gospel because it, it kind of misses out a, uh, an important part. Luke 10, verses 25 to 30, 37. 37. you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers. The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. This is the word of the Lord. Be seated, please. There are certain stories and words and phrases in the Bible which have in many ways become part of our cult, a collective consciousness our collective imagination, our our language. And this parable, of course, is one of them, isn't it? It's one of the uh, most uh, favorite, one of the most popular uh, parables, uh, most familiar. Uh, Sometimes even you hear prime ministers uh, famously uh, quoting this parable as well. Um, And the difficulty is its sheer popularity and familiarity um, means we're in danger of not fully understanding what Jesus is speaking about and we need to to always place these parables in the context because Jesus didn't just tell this story out of a blue sky Um, it was a specific answer to a deliberate question Uh, in fact uh, two questions and two answers Um, you might want to look the first question verse 25 what must I do to inherit life the answer uh, is given um, then uh, verses uh, 27 the next question verse 29 who is my neighbor and then the answer comes next uh, it's a familiar parable but maybe maybe the questions are not so familiar um, so just briefly looking at this here's the first point the parable points to my need to receive grace The parable um, and this whole section points to my need to receive grace. Verse 25, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, obviously, again, we're given hints in the passage. It's not so sincere. He has mixed motives. Verse 29, he wanted to justify himself. Um, But still, it stands as perhaps the most important question anyone, any human being could ever ask. Ask. eternal life is not just life after death by the way it includes that Uh, it's the life of the kingdom how can i enter god's kingdom how can i um, be in a right relationship uh, with god how can i be on good terms with god how can i live with his favor how can i live with him how can i live beyond death now the fact that that sort of question doesn't weigh heavily upon us is a reflection of our age, though in many, many years gone by, it certainly was an important question. Two reasons why that sort of question um, doesn't weigh heavily upon us. Number one, we don't take God seriously. So often, our view of God is not the God of the Bible. Secondly, we don't take our human predicament seriously either. Because by and large, we think that kind of God owes us a favour, and we think we're kind of okay. And so, religion, faith, spirituality is a is an option for life improvement. It's a life hack. Have you, f- do you have you heard of that phrase, a life hack? Um, on social media now, if you, you type in life hack, you, a life hack is a kind of a some sort of advice which makes life a bit easier. You can, it's a big thing on social media. Um, but then we tend to think, well, that's what faith is. It's a, it makes, it c- kind of helps life. But in, in previous generations, that sort of question really did weigh heavily upon people. And neatly illustrated in Pilgrim's Progress, one of the most important books ever written in the English language, um, and right at the beginning of the Pilgrim's Progress, Christian, the pilgrim, is overwhelmed with this. He says, what shall I do? He broke out with a lamentable cry. How shall we escape God's judgment and hell itself? Uh, In fact, uh, Vaughan Williams, who wrote an opera, uh, began um, with those phrases. What must I do to be saved? Uh, And and he goes on um, to speak uh, to a person called the evangelist, he says, I perceive by the book in my hand that I am condemned to die, and after that to come to judgment. And I find that I'm not willing to do the first, nor able to do the second. Now, we look at that and read that and think that's kind of quaint, isn't it? And and yet, maybe that sort of response and the question of this lawyer, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Maybe needs to be a pressing question with every. How do we enter into God's kingdom? How can we escape God's judgment? How can we escape hell itself? Jesus said, Matthew 7, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy, that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. That's a warning, isn't it? For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard, that leads to life, and those who find it a few. So what was Jesus' answer? Well, Jesus again points to Scripture, verse 26. What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? The religious scholar said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. He's quoting from Deuteronomy, and that still is, by the way, it's um, a a, a Jew will use this prayer at the beginning of the day and at the end of the day. It's called a Shema. Um, And then he adds, um, And love your neighbor as yourself is a quote from Leviticus. Both are interlinked, by the way. Um, one makes the other possible. In other words, loving God actually is the is the is the key action which makes my love of neighbor possible. But there's already a problem. Because Jesus says do this and you will live. Now we know this 1st don't we? Jesus says do this and you will live let's just look at the verse again do this and you will live love the Lord your God with all your heart have you done that no I haven't have you love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul have I done that no I haven't with all your strength all no no I haven't with all your mind have you done that no I haven't in in many ways I'd love to do that but, but actually, that um, famous verse actually points me to a realization that I haven't done that, and I can't do it. I will try, but it, it says all, doesn't it? That's the spoiler, all, 100%. Have you done that? No. And, and even when my desire is at its best, I will still fall short of that. True. Are we being honest here? True, all of us. So although we aspire to that, when Jesus says, do this and you will live, which includes loving your neighbor as yourself, we look at that and say, well, yeah, that's a great aspiration. But he doesn't say it's an aspiration. He says, do this and you will live. Well, the reality is, however much we aspire to this, however much we want to do this, there's not a single person in this room who can do this according to the frame of reference Jesus puts. Comparing to this, my life falls short, and so does the life of this lawyer. Can anyone stand before God and say, I have loved you totally? No. It's interesting, the lawyer asked not about a way of life, but a way to life. There's a difference, isn't there? There's a difference between a way of life and a way to life. He's interested in the way to life. How can I enter into this? It's not a way of life. And again and again, when we read the Scriptures, we we see that a, a way of life always is the result of a way to life. You see, God's law in its entirety reveals my need of grace, doesn't it? Which is why Paul uses this phrase, that the law is like a schoolmaster or mistress. It it educates. It shows us that every single one of us stands before God with this this sense of actually all of us fall short. We're reminded in Ephesians 2, and the verse is, is printed there, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, both the works in doing good things, but also the works of the law, um, so that no one can boast. So the first question, paradoxically, shows me my need of grace, doesn't it? The second question actually points to how I can show grace. Verse 29. So who is my neighbor? It's interesting, isn't it? I don't think the, the person here asking the questions doesn't doesn't object to the fact that God calls us to love our neighbor. And on the whole, most people don't do that, do they? Because I think most people um, would want to say it's a good thing to love your neighbor. Agreed? I think so. There are very few people going around to say, actually, uh, we shouldn't be loving our neighbor. We, we should We should hate them. And, and so it's a kind of a, a, a really funny question. But then, of course, in one sense, the lawyer realizes that. Who is my neighbor? He's looking for loopholes. You see, the problem is not the theory, it's the practice. Yeah? Everyone thinks loving your neighbor is a good idea until it comes to the practice of it. True? True. And it's interesting that what he wants to do is to restrict the radical nature of God's law and its challenge. But who is my neighbor? Because obviously this man believed that some were non-neighbors. <laughs> yeah? If he's asking that, he's kind of at the back of his mind thinking, oh, that's all right, love your neighbor. But then there are some people who are non-neighbors and therefore I don't have to love them. I- it's a, a little bit like, you know, on Facebook, you can unfriend someone. And and he wants to un people. That's what he wants to do. Um, Now, this is very relevant. Because actually, the object of the parable is not just about showing true love. That's kind of taken as read. But who we show it to. That's always the issue, isn't it? You know, even (laughs) the the, the most grumpy person would admit that actually it's a good thing to show love. The point of the parable is who we show it to. And this is actually the heart of the problem. Why did the priest and the Levite um, pass by on the other side? Here's some reasons, maybe. Firstly, they didn't know him. Okay? And, and we kind of think, well, um, I don't know that person, therefore they're not a neighbor. And w- in some ways, we, the problem with this is we, we're so brought up with this parable We kind of think the priest and the Levite are the really bad guys, but maybe the point is we need to see ourselves in their position. We don't know them. And maybe it was his own fault. We've all done that too. Secondly, no time doing more important things. Thirdly, it might have been dangerous to stop. Well, that was true. You know, if, if, if the people who'd caused the violence in the first place was still around, then stopping would put them at risk. It was inconvenient. Fourthly, maybe the person was not like me. And maybe if Facebook um, was in existence 2,000 years ago, they would have probably put this on Facebook. And I've seen this and versions of this again and again and again. Charity begins at... But it doesn't. Charity begins at home. This whole parable destroys that. Okay. This whole parable, the point of this parable is to completely torpedo that idea that charity begins at home. Uh, you know, again, most people would say we need to be loving and generous. The issue is who do we do it to? Who? Well, Jesus carries on. Um, at the end, and it's not printed on the sheet because I, I missed that out. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor? The expert in the law, verse 37, replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. So who was the neighbor? The one who showed mercy. In other words, who is my neighbor? The one who needs mercy. That makes sense, it? So the neighbor is the one who showed Mercy. Who is my neighbor is the one who needs mercy. Who? Anyone. Anyone who needs mercy. Hmm. Now, that's quite a big group, isn't it? Yeah? So, so when Jesus says, love your neighbor, who is my neighbor? Anyone who needs grace. Anyone who needs mercy. Ah. So maybe I can't put charity begins at home becomes a little bit more problematic, doesn't it? And the first question, which the lawyer says, um, you know, how do I inherit the kingdom of God? (laughs) Actually, that reminds us that we need mercy too, don't we? So actually, all of us need mercy and grace from God. That's the point. Every single one of us needs grace and mercy. And the the second set of questions and the parable says actually, As we receive grace and mercy from God, we are to share that with other people. To whom? Well, anyone who needs grace and mercy. Because actually, before God, I'm really no different uh, to to the man who's been assaulted. I'm in desperate need of grace and mercy. And I receive that from God through faith in Christ. And as a result... I become a sharer of the same grace and the same mercy which I have received, regardless of who they are, regardless of where they come from. That's why there are some Bible passages which are, they don't need so much understanding, they need application. We understand this, don't we? Is it the application which is difficult? It is. But we're people who receive grace and mercy. But then, as a result, because of the grace and mercy we've received from God, we remember—we remember our desperate need before God—that that, that by our works and the law we, we, we cannot be made right with God. But we receive something freely from Him, so that we can be—we can be a good neighbour, giving grace which we have received. J. C. Ryle, the first bishop of Liverpool, said we should regard the whole world as our parish. The whole race of mankind as our neighbors. So we have an ever-expanding vision concerning our responsibility. You see, I'm not saved by living a life for him. I am saved to live a life for him. And there's a big difference. I'm not saved by living a life for him. I can't do that. but, But I'm saved to live a life for him. I receive grace and mercy so that I might be a person who shares grace and mercy. The great commandment does not enable me to inherit the kingdom of God, but it shows how I can live a life of the kingdom, which goes on, um, which is finished off in that Ephesians 2 verse again. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not by work so that no one can boast, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. The great commandment does not enable me to inherit eternal life, but it shows me how I can live a life. Jesus is calling me to do something which is impossible through the law, but possible through grace. This um, autumn, um, as it stands at the moment, um, could be one of the most challenging times this nation has faced for many, many years. I seem to be saying this every every few months, don't I? Um, And and maybe God is is wanting to say something. But this autumn is is going to be incredibly challenging. And it's going to need people who are certain of the grace they have received. So we can show grace um, to a community which I think increasingly is going to get very nervous. And actually quite frightened as well. But we're the people, aren't we? We've received this grace and we give that out. Who? Who is my neighbor? Anyone who needs grace and mercy. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. And we thank you that you have made it possible for us to receive grace and mercy through what you did on the cross. So that we might be a people who would live that out and share that with others. And I pray that you may come and fill us uh, with greater reservoirs of that grace and mercy so that we may be a people who would reach out to our world and our community with the same grace and mercy we've experienced from you.